Business Class is brought to you by the Tourism Academy, harnessing the power of science, business psychology, and adult education to advance the tourism industry and build sustainable economies. Learn how to engage your community, win over stakeholders, and get more visitors at tourismacademy.org. All right, Steve here, host of the Business Class podcast. Today's guest from Boston, Massachusetts, Martha Sheridan. CEO of the Boston Convention of Visitors Bureau. Did I get that right? You did. All right. Well, the greater Boston. Greater Boston. Because it's not just a great city, it's a greater city. <laughs> the greatest city. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you come to be in Boston? Well, um, it's sort of the culmination of what had, at the time was a 28 or so year career in tourism and destination marketing. I have uh, had similar roles and I was in Providence for 13 years. I was in Newport, Rhode Island, not as CEO, but as VP of sales. And, you know, I've just spent my, um, pretty much my entire professional career in the DMO space and felt like there was one unfinished piece <laughs> and, uh, Working in a city like Boston was it. So the position became available as um, my predecessor, Pat Moscatolo, retired after 28 years here. And I went through the process and have been so delighted that I uh, made the decision that I did and that the board made the decision that they did. It's been four years now and I, um, I'm living my best life now, you could say. <laughs> what would you mark as your, your greatest accomplishment so far in Boston? Well, I would say um, the... Uh, successful implementation of a tourism destination marketing district or TID as it's commonly known in the industry. We started our process a couple of years ago, passed legislation on this on the state level, uh, gained extraordinary support from our hotel community, uh, got through city council with a unanimous vote, and now have the Cambridge, the Boston Cambridge Tourism Destination Marketing District, which has increased our organization's budget from seven and a half million to it'll be close to 35 million next year. So total game changer for us um, allows us to compete nationally and internationally with our um, counterparts, you know, destination DC, NYC and company, uh, Philadelphia, CBB, all of my good friends, but um, you know, we're now all, all playing on the same level playing field. So what are two or three top objectives that you want to implement now that you have the funding that you have? Yeah, um, the overarching objective is to continue or to really elevate Boston as a global destination, to spread the news worldwide that this city um, never gets old, always on the move. And we, um, we intend to invite the world to come and explore our great destination. So that's the overarching goal. How are we doing that? Uh, we're developing uh, international programs in key feeder markets so that we can talk directly to consumers and uh, professional meeting planners in those markets. We are creating events in the city that we know will appeal, creating or supporting events that we know will appeal to an international audience. Uh, first and foremost, we are one of the um, 16 North American FIFA cities. So that was something that the uh, marketing district was able to fund partially to help us secure that bid. 
Um, we're also uh, strategically looking at other events that we can support and lure to Boston that will continue to elevate our profile. So we, we are uh, hosting the Army-Navy game in 2023, first time it's ever been in New England. Again, the Tourism Destination Marketing Fund um, helps support that. And even on a smaller level, we want the community to know that we're here to support them because everything that happens in every neighborhood in Boston uh, helps, to, helps to create our narrative of what we want people to know about the city. So we we do fund a lot of community events and smaller events that draw people into every corner of Boston. And we find that to be also a very important facet of what we're doing. When, Tell me when you realized that destination marketing was really the career path for you. When, when did so that I'm old enough to remember when destination marketing was a pretty, pretty new art. <laughs> I actually started out as a tour director for a company called Paragon Tours. And I did that for three years right out of college. And then, um, you know, by happenstance, found a job in my hometown community of South Kingstown, where they were starting to form a small DMO back in the days when hotel taxes were just being implemented and the funds were being directed towards destination marketing. That was back in the eighties, actually mid eighties. So um, I was able to get in on the ground floor. And I think at that point, um, traveling to industry conferences, meeting uh, my counterparts from across the country, you know, really reaffirmed that this was an industry that I wanted to be a part of for a very long time. And from there, I just continued to move on to, other destination marketing organizations that were a little bit larger, had a little bit of a different profile and um, have never looked back. What's a challenging day in the office like for you? For us right now, it's recruitment. I'll be honest with you. You know, because we have new funding, we obviously need um, talent to help us execute and implement our programs. And right now we are we're really struggling with recruiting, um, you know, just like pretty much every other, other industry um, in America right now. The, you know, we know the pandemic sort of shifted the paradigm when it comes to what does work look like, not just from a where do I work from, but what do I want to get out of it perspective, right? What's the culture? So, mm -hmm. you know, we're simultaneously trying to grow our organization but also trying to create a new culture that really um, embraces all of the values that we hold very dear to us in our marketing effort. We want to obviously um, live and breathe those in our internal environment as well. And then, you know, quite frankly, um, you know, pay scales have changed dramatically over the past three or four years as well as the competition has grown. So, you know, we've had to look at our current pay scale for existing employees and how do we adjust that so that we aren't, uh, so that we're keeping parity amongst um, veteran and newer employees. So it's a, it's a lot, <laughs> but, um, you know, we're doing it. We're chipping away at it little by little. And what one word would you use to describe the, the culture that you're looking to to foster within the organization? I'm not sure there's one word. I think there's several words, right? Um, inclusivity, transparency, um, vibrancy, um, trust. You know, we th those are sort of the pillars that we we try and operate under. Um, you know, we want to be as as the same way that we are 
um, promoting externally, we want to live that live and breathe those same qualities internally. So transformation, that's a big thing for us right now. We need to be transformative. We're doing that externally with the new um, advertising campaign and a new corporate identity that we're going to be revealing in the next um, couple of months. Um, and then also we're doing that, um, you know, internally as well. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot going on here, but it's all really good. We transformation is probably the word of the day right now for us. Yeah. So we all find inspiration in different places. You know, who do you look up to as somebody that mentored you? Um, the, my, Really, my godfather, so to speak, in the industry was um, a gentleman named Terry Dale, and he was, uh, he's currently the president and CEO of the USTOA, but he was my um, CEO in Providence when I started there in the, I think about 89 or 90, we're exactly the same age, but he was a very, very young CEO, incredibly talented, and when we worked together, we had very little resources, very little budget, and Terry really taught me how to do a lot with a little, how to um, be passionate about what you do every day, regardless of the resources that you have, that that passion will take you far, um, how to be prepared for whatever it is that you're doing, in particular public speaking. I learned a lot from him. He's an incredible public speaker. And I think more importantly, how to not take yourself too seriously and laugh a lot <laughs> in the workplace. Um, we had some incredibly fun times back in the day and he still remains for me, one of my closest friends and um, mentors. So I'd say he, he comes, he's, he's top of mind for me. How is, how are you different or similar outside of work than you are in the office? I think I'm pretty similar. Um, in both places, I, I'm probably a little more intense in the office, to be honest with you, really depending on the, on the, um, you know, amount of pressure I'm under, you know, like today I walked in and said to my VP of communications, like, all right, we need to meet. I'm having hot, I'm getting hives. We have too much on the agenda. I'm freaking <laughs> out. And I don't necessarily feel that as much in my personal life. Although I did at one point, I raised three children doing this career full time. So I did have that one back in the day, but um, now my personal life is, is pretty um, even and smooth. Um, I have an amazing husband who spoils me rotten. So um, I would say that at home, I'm a little bit more um, centered and balanced. And at work, I get a little bit more, um, I guess I would say not anxious, but um, hyped up about, you know, the the here and the now and what we need to accomplish. You mentioned you've got three kids. I do. How would you hope they're most like you? I'm getting your break. You're you're st stopped for me, Stephen. How would you hope your kids are most? For some like reason you're frozen. It'll come back. Uh, give me one second. Okay, we're back. Okay, say how it again. You, how would you hope your kids are most like you? Um, they they that they laugh a lot. <laughs> I love to laugh. I um, you know, I. I like to have a lot of fun. Um, and I think too, for me, um, I happen to, 
be very fortunate in that I love my work. And I think that is a gift. Um, and I think that it makes life so much better <laughs> and so much easier when you love what you do every day. And it's my hope that they feel the same. You know, they're, they're new in their careers. They're younger. Um, I think they're fulfilled in their careers for sure. They're 24, 27, 29. But um, I want them to love what they do, um, but also achieve that balance that, you know, work isn't everything and uh, you have to have life outside of work. And I think they have done a really nice job in that regard. And then how would you say you're most like each of your parents? Oh, gosh, I am very like my father, first of all. Um, my father was very outgoing, very gregarious. Uh he was, you know, not to use a cliche, but what you would call a people person. He owned an insurance agency. He was hands-on, high touch, you know, went went to people's offices, delivered chocolates to the <laughs> to the gatekeepers, you know, every holiday. Um, he was an amazing public speaker, inspirational, and actually taught me a lot in that regard. Um, and then I think from my mom, I've, I'm more of the um, the quiet nurturer for my kids. Um, and I think I got that from her. I'm not, I'm there for them. I don't judge them at all. And I'm not a helicopter parent. Never have been, never had the time to be. And nor, nor was she. It was just pretty much, um, you know, you'll, you'll succeed if you work hard. And uh, that's pretty much been the mantra with us. So I, I think I learned that from my mom. And I look just like her too. <laughs> what's the best piece of advice you've ever received from my dad and it was don't burn bridges don't ever burn a bridge um and I try and live that to this day um you know I guess it's like that old adage never go to bed angry right you you may have disagreements with people you may have a bad moment but I'm always I'm the youngest, first of all. So youngest are always trying to be the peacemaker. And that's what I am in life. I I'm not um, a pushover. I definitely know how to say my piece, but I also, you know, um, want to move on from it and let bygones be bygones when when the time is right. And uh, I have I think I've succeeded in that regard. Um, and that's from my dad. So it, it means a lot to me. And for young people that are considering all of their career options. Um, one of the things that I heard at, at DI was that there's a perception that jobs in the tourism industry are riskier than jobs in some other industries. Um, are in, what? I'm sorry. You they're they're a little bit more risky than jobs in some other industries. When pandemics hit, when crises hit, the tourism industry tends to get affected. How would you counter that? And I'm going to turn off my camera just to save some bandwidth here. Sure. This is an audio recording. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I don't think our, I think our industry is definitely vulnerable, um, you know, to economic ups and downs, obviously to um, natural disasters, um, pandemics. <laughs> but I think every industry has its vulnerabilities. I think the difference in the tourism industry is that, um, I think we we treat our associates with a lot more care and thought than a lot of other industries. Um, I think when our industry had to do layoffs during the pandemic, we did not, fortunately, because we had a small staff to begin with. But I think our um, leadership in this industry 
it was really hard for them. And they, they did everything they could to not have to do that. Like that was the, that was the last resort. And I don't think that's the case in a lot of other sectors. So I would say it it's risky, but every industry is risky. And I think, um, you know, leadership in our industry values our teams um, in such a way that uh, we try and protect um, against all odds. And, you know, I think that's what makes the industry so appealing. Do you find it challenging then to to balance the need to protect your staff and the need to also um, let them flourish and 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 grow and and bring in new people and you know go through change in such a way that sometimes ruffles people's feathers? It's, I mean, that's a reality for sure. Um, I think we try and do it thoughtfully. And I, I think from the perspective of my team right now, they understand, uh, where we are, uh, versus where we were. And they understand that we need to, uh, make big changes, have that transformation. Um, it's not without its bumps for sure, but, you know, we try and work through them. And as a matter of fact, we're going to do a collective uh, strategic planning process, and we're starting bottom up uh, with our team first, and then moving on to our board. And I think that's a good example of how we operate. We want to we want everyone to be heard, and I think that's the key. I think as long as people feel heard and listened to, then they will be more uh, susceptible to change. Um, and I also think people are more susceptible to change when they help create the model. So that's where we're going with this. And we've got just a couple seconds left or a couple minutes left, but um, how do you see your role now at this point in your career as somebody that others look up to? I, um, you know, I have a lived experience, I guess, right? I can say that now I'm 60 years old. I've been at this a long time. And um, I'm always, always wanting to, help um help others that are in transformational areas succeed provide guidance provide advice and i do actually i do a lot of public speaking a lot of it around women's empowerment i just did a session a panel session a few weeks ago you know and one of the things i always talk about is and i try and share this with people that are sort of in the throes right now and um moving up in their careers is I've learned as I've gotten older, and I think everyone says this when they get older, but not to take myself too seriously, not to take what others say about me too seriously, and to try and um, worry a little bit less about outcomes because I, you know, nothing that's ever happened in my career has been catastrophic, right? It's always, it, it may have felt so at the time, but what I try and do is look back to those moments when I felt like, you know, the sky was falling and it really didn't, and think, okay, we can get through this. We've been here before. We'll get through it. And, um, you know, for those that do, you know, as you said, look up to me or look to me for advice, that's some of the best advice I can give because it's it's reassuring to know that, you know, we make mistakes. Everyone's going to make a mistake. But guess what? Um, we'll learn from them. We'll move on from them. And, uh, you know, the next time it, it, it will be a different scenario. Do you think that's harder for 
younger professionals who grew up in an age where everything that every picture they took lives online forever? It could be, although they may be a little bit numb to it now too, right? So I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think um, from our perspective, you know, obviously I grew up in a very different era. <laughs> I don't think I had a cell phone until I was in my 20s and that was a car phone in a bag. Um, but, I, you know, I embrace technology now, but don't get me wrong, I embrace social media. I, I embrace it for the positive sides of what it can, you know, what it accomplishes, like staying connected with people. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's that hard for younger folks. I think they probably learn harder lessons earlier on, maybe, mm -hmm. as a result, and learn from those lessons. So as they, you know, grow and flourish, then maybe, um, you know, they won't make those mistakes again. But it is, it's definitely a different paradigm than where we were, or where I was, um, you know, in my early career. How many times have either of us said, geez, I'm really glad cell phones didn't e exist when I was 21? I agree completely. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because I remember my first job, I was um, a marketing director at a small DMO in Southern Rhode Island, and I produced my first newsletter, right? And it had a typo in it, and I freaked out. But now with technology, my newsletter probably, first of all, would have spell check. And secondly, <laughs> secondly, probably wouldn't even be printed. It would be digital and I could fix the mistake. So <laughs> everything has its benefits. Is there anything I didn't ask that you wish I did? No, actually, you asked some really great questions. I love Thanks. the conversation. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. I, and I appreciate you too. If folks want to plan a visit to Boston or learn more about what your organization was doing or what job opportunities you have available? How would they oh, go about doing well, that? BostonUSA.com. It's all there. It's all there. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Martha. I appreciate it. And I thank hope you, you have a wonderful week. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye-bye.